Today we want to talk simply about the reckless love of God. It was Ken Fabre who said this. He said, any definition of the word love that does not include Christ and him crucified is at best an incomplete definition, if not a false one. I'll say that again. Any definition of the word love that does not include Jesus and him crucified is an incomplete definition at best, if not a false one. You remember that, that, that classic 1980s song? I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Some of you are going back to your high school prom with jerry curls and mullets. And there was a time, maybe when you asked that question and said, I want to know what love is. Here's the truth this morning, City Church. There is no full understanding of love apart from knowing and experiencing the love of Jesus firsthand. And so this morning, we want to revisit, we want to revisit the reckless love that Jesus demonstrated for us at the cross. Notice what that word reckless means. By definition, the word reckless means to be utterly unconcerned about the consequences of one's actions as it relates to one's own well-being, one's own safety, and one's own comfort. You know what that means? It means that when Jesus thought of you and he thought of me, he pursued us with reckless abandon. And he threw caution to the wind so that he would pursue you and me. And this morning we celebrate that reckless love. More than just a theory and just a principle, City Church, we want to make this very real and very personal for each of us this morning. So that the words here will not just be some random people halfway across the world who experience Jesus, but that from their life experiences, you and I can find wisdom for how to navigate life today. So what does reckless love demonstrated really look like? We're going to look to the text now as we examine the lives of these individuals And I think you will identify with them as we look to God's word together. Well, one thing we want to reiterate, as we have already stated this morning, is that the power of the resurrection empowers us today. Good. And when we look at the things that are going on in the news, uh, particularly when it uh, comes to women, I want to put a disclaimer on, I am not a feminist I am a daughter of God. I believe in the order of God. I believe God first, the man next, the wife, the children. I believe in that order. But there is something very significant. I was doing a a Bible study. I was doing my daily devotional earlier in the month that I noticed about women when it comes to Christ, specifically at the crucifixion and during his resurrection. Uh, you just gave us a definition of what reckless means. And I, though our love for God and our love for other people will never match what God has done for us 
and what he'll continue to do. But I believe that reckless love can flow both ways. It can be reckless from him to us and also from us to him. And so we're going to look at the, the scripture starting with Mark, the 15th chapter and the 40th verse. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I am a King James baby, but for the sake of the children being here, we're going to read. This may help them to understand it just a little bit more. Mark 15, 40 through 41. It says, some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, then Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women had come with him to Jerusalem and were there also. And so Jesus actually really valued women in ministry. If you know anything about the story of Mary Magdalene, she was a woman of ill repute. The Lord Jesus had also cast several demons out of her. She had believed upon Jesus and was now saved. And we're going to see her reckless acts of love. Mm. Jesus's value of women in ministry was a radical concept for that particular day. Right. Women in that day, they couldn't even testify in court. They yeah. were considered unreliable sources in the history of that day in that first century women did not have any other significance in society beyond being a wife and being a mother Mm. in the culture where women were pretty much ignored jesus accepted them he healed them he set them free he valued them and he empowered them and because of this They stayed faithful with him until the end. The scripture says that when Jesus went to the cross, that many of his followers, they just deserted him. And all of the disciples had deserted him. But then there were the women. The women that had received healing for their children. The women that had experienced Jesus raising loved ones from the dead. The women were there looking from afar and there at the foot of the cross. Mm. Let's look over at Mark uh, 16, 1 through 8. It says, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Remember, they were frightened not just by the shock of seeing an angel, but can you imagine the angel has just now commissioned them to be evangelists. The angel says, go and tell them what you've seen. 
And just think about the women of that day. They're wondering, nobody is going to believe this. What kind of trouble am I going to be in? Right. But again, we're talking about reckless love. Come on. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus by some scholars has been termed the great reversal. And so when I was studying this out and the significance of women, it actually, the study actually took me back to Genesis 3. And it'll help give us some historical uh, understanding of maybe why women in that culture were devalued, were marginalized, were not felt as though they were reliable resources. In Genesis 3, this is the account of the fall. Now, we've talked about this before and what got Adam and Eve into trouble. It was Eve's independence, independent of her husband, independent of God, her conversation with the serpent. It was Adam's indifference, standing back, just watching what's going on and not standing in his rightful authority that got them into trouble. They're not obeying God, eating the fruit of the forbidden tree is was called sin. That's a separation from God. The consequence of that sin we find in Genesis 3.16. It says, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Some translation says your sorrow in conception, but notice what it says here in the New King James. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That sin, that independence, caused a separation from God. And because of that, historically, that is when women lost their voice. It wasn't stolen from them. Eve already knew the boundaries, and she chose her freedom, and we all have freedom. We've all crossed those boundaries, so I'm not throwing shade on Eve. But she crossed those boundaries, and that's where women lost their voice. And we don't see widely from that point on until Jesus walks on the earth where women are really speaking out. Now, you do have Deborah, who was a judge. You do have the daughters of Zolophahad, who were given uh, their, the, they, their father didn't have uh, sons. And so Moses had to go before the Lord and they were given the property as those sons. So you see glimpses of God's uh, value of women, but women, that's when we lost our voice. But notice the cross and the crucifixion. There is a changing of the tide. Good. That is when we were able to get our voice back. Why would Jesus speak to Mary Magdalene, the woman, out of all the women he could have spoken to. This was one of ill repute. She was known everywhere. She could have been on the original housewives of somebody's big city. Galilee. Housewives of Galilee. <laughs> Demon possessed. Yeah. But not only he, the angel spoke to her. There was fear. But guess what the scripture says? Moving mm. on, it says, uh, that through the redemption of Christ, Mary Magdalene's story, especially in the Gospel of John, is especially powerful. Mm-hmm. Not only was she commissioned to go and tell what happened, in John it says that she spoke to Jesus herself. Yeah. She actually thought that he was a gardener. 
and she was crying and he spoke to her woman why are you crying she's like i don't know where they they've taken my savior mm. and he called her by name mary and she responds rabboni which means teacher good and she was he then told her to go and tell the disciples what you have seen and there was reckless love and she was crying when she was with her girlfriends. You know, when we're with our girlfriends and stuff happens, we're like, oh, Lord, Jesus, what's right. going on? But she herself was commissioned. Again, this is not a point for us to be, oh, we are women, hear us roar. We don't ever want to be out of order. But in light of today's everything that's going on, sometimes we can wonder where our place is with God, where our place yeah. is in society. And so women, we can have our voice, a voice can be lifted up in prayer for our country, for our families. We can stand in the gap. We can be just as powerful being graceful. And then there is time when you have to be bold. Our personalities that God has given us, especially a bold personality and a big mouth like some people I know, you can think, <laughs> oh, my goodness, this is something that is, uh, that is ugly or you want to be a lady or you want to be so nice and sweet. But that mm. boldness, me specifically, that ha God has given to me, it is not for me to be ugly to my husband or be showing out at the mall. It is for me to war in prayer. That Good. roar that God has. Has given you could be for something it could be for the marketplace it can be for ministry but what Jesus did was strategic and it was significant Good. in the Genesis it says that there is neither male or female in God's eyes there is order in God's eyes so women I just encourage you wherever you are just hold on to that truth today that God is speaking to us and all of us, men and women alike, let yeah. us be like those that were found following Jesus to the very end. So good, 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 good. How many of you realize this morning that God loves his daughters? Amen. And of all the people he could have chosen to be the bearers of the news of his resurrection, he chose women. He chose women. Most people argue that the resurrection could be a hoax. Yet if somebody was trying to conspire and make up a story, they would go to the most reliable sources to be the ones to bear the news that Jesus was risen. In fact, we've, from this account in Scripture, we know that the resurrection happened because of the first sources that he turned to. A lot of lessons that we can learn in here. Number one, reckless love. Reckless love. The reckless love of God always gives value to the voiceless. If you're here this morning and you've ever dealt with that, does anybody hear me? Does anybody see me? Does anybody even know I'm here? Look no further than Mark 16. Because Jesus' response after his resurrection to these women who came to him reminds us that you matter. It reminds us that you matter. This is what I also know, City Church. What you seek determines what you see. The reason these women had this awesome privilege was because they were the first ones who came to the tomb. When all the men, including the 11 disciples who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, were cowering in fear. When they had shifted over into self-preservation. When one denied him three times and the other betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, it was the women who came seeking Jesus. And what you seek 
will always determine what you see. What are you seeking this morning? Not just what you seek, but where you look also matters. Uh, uh, the women show up at the tomb and, and, and the angel's there. He's sitting on this big stone that he's rolled away. And, and notice what he says. He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? If there's a lesson that we can glean from the resurrection, it's simply this. Most of us are guilty of looking for God in all the wrong places. And most of us come to the tomb with good intentions. We've come with spices and we come with ointment to anoint the body of Jesus. And we go to where he was, not where he is. And we have a tendency sometimes in life to anoint dead things. I'm talking to somebody this morning. We have a tendency to hold on to things that are dead. And we want to dress it up. We want to perfume it. We want to make it look nice. And God says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You're not going to find a living Savior in dead things. Most of us are trying to resuscitate dead things, and we want Jesus to pop out. But notice what Jesus told him. For three years, Jesus said, on the third day, I'm going to rise. And when I rise, I'll go to Galilee. It's amazing how quickly we forget in the dark what God spoke to us in the light. Y'all miss that? Let me tell you something. Just because your circumstances change, it doesn't nullify what God said. Sometimes the reality of the cross, the violence of the cross, sometimes can eclipse what we heard God say. And so it follows then that these women, after they saw Jesus die, would go to the tomb to anoint his body. But they forgot what he said. I'm talking to somebody this morning now. Just because your circumstances look like it's dead doesn't mean I throw out what Jesus said. That on the third day, he would rise again. And the story of the resurrection teaches us that there comes a time when we have to move beyond dead things to where Jesus is. In fact, when you read the story, the angel says, he is in Galilee just like he told you he was going to be. There was never a time that Jesus spoke to his followers and said, when I die, come to the tomb and anoint me. He told them, I'm going to die, and after three days, I'm going to rise again. And we're going to rendezvous in Galilee. The story of the resurrection reminds us to remember what God said, even in the midst 
of circumstances that seem contrary to what he said. I love this story because Jesus, in his reckless love and his resurrection, gives voice to the voiceless. If you're here this morning, you matter to God. Regardless of what culture and society has spoken about you. Today, because of the resurrection, Jesus wants to reframe the narrative. And he wants to rewrite your inner script. You matter and you count and you are a part of the story of God. And God even points that out. I love in this in the scripture with Mary Magdalene when the angel spoke to her, he said go and tell his disciples and Peter. That's such right. great significance. So we're talking about women having a voice and and being marginalized and that wasn't, you know, really anything of their fault after Eve. But what happens when we are the ones that mess up like Peter did? And God's reckless love, he was very specific. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. God's reckless love for us, it redeems and it restores. Yeah, yeah. It redeems and it restores. Even if you were the one we saw in the video, what do we do? Right. When I've been the one, when you've been the one that messed up and you can think, oh, I deserve this. Oh, but when we put some reckless love on it. Come on. It's already available. It is just reaching out. Absolutely. And that's the power of the resurrection. The second lesson we learned, God doesn't only give value to the voiceless. God restores and redeems the rejected. If you've ever dealt with rejection, The power of the resurrection is that God restores those who have been rejected at some point in their life. Let's let's listen to what uh, Wendy just read. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Well, pump the brakes now. Wasn't Peter one of the disciples? Why the distinction? Why set Peter apart from the other 11? Because there's something about the reckless love of God that will leave the 99 who have done everything right to go after the one. Are y'all with me? He said, don't, don't just tell the disciples. And make sure you tell Peter. And let me tell you about Peter. Peter was that one who was always the first to talk. Always talking to Jesus about how much he loved him. In fact, when Jesus said, look, uh, 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 there's coming a time when I will be beaten and I'll be crucified. And Peter says, not on my watch. Yet on the night that Jesus is taken in the Garden of Gethsemane, it seems like Peter is backing up what he promised. Because when the Roman soldiers come into the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, 
Notice Peter's first response. He pulls out his dagger and he chops off. I was going to chop off your ear. Let me chop off Tony's ear. And he chops off the ear of Malchus, the Roman soldier. He said, yeah, Jesus, I got your back. Ride or die. I got you. Didn't I say this wasn't going to happen on my watch? Jesus, I'm going to prove how much I love you and how reckless my love is for you. That even if I'm the only guy willing to take on this Roman contingent, I got your back, Jesus. Notice Jesus' response. He picks up that little ear, still wiggling on the ground. That little nub. And he puts it back on Malchus's head. Heals the one that Peter tried to hurt in Jesus' defense. Can we fast forward a little bit? A few hours later, Jesus is before the Sanhedrin. And Peter is following him at a distance, and he's warming himself around a fire. And then one person pipes up, hey, man, I hear your accent. Sounds like you're from Galilee. Aren't you one of his followers? And notice Peter's response. I don't know him. Again, someone confronts Peter and says, hey, man. You were one of those guys riding with Jesus. You were part of his entourage, 12 deep. He said, nah, I wasn't one of them. And then the third time, a little girl, a little girl says, I know you, I saw you, you were one of them. And scripture says on that third denial, he began to scream obscenities and his eyes met Jesus. Can I just tell you something about Peter and Peter denying Jesus? May I suggest to you that what we're witnessing when Peter denies Jesus three times is not Peter's fear? What man would fear being confronted when he was unafraid to take on Roman soldiers? Think about it. Single-handedly, he's willing to take on these men who came to arrest Jesus. Why would he all of a sudden flip the script and be afraid of a little girl who says, yeah, you walked with Jesus? No. Maybe what we're witnessing is not Peter's fear, but Peter's disappointment. Tell you what, because all of the disciples were looking for a Messiah who would redeem them from Roman oppression. Peter wasn't looking for somebody that Jesus, a, a Messiah who would heal somebody who was trying to hurt him. And in one moment, Peter realized that this guy I've been following probably ain't the Messiah I thought he was going to be. Maybe he's not going to take us out of Roman oppression. Maybe he came to love the unlovable. 
And there is something profound about the disappointment that comes from unmet expectations. It wasn't fear because if he were afraid, he wouldn't have attacked Malchus. What Peter is trying to reconcile is, did I follow this guy for three years for the wrong reasons? I thought this guy was going to be like David and here he is healing people who are hurting him. And most of us come to that place in life where we grapple with disappointment even with Jesus. The prayer that went unanswered. The miracle you thought he was going to perform that didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen. And we find ourselves grappling with unmet expectations. Jesus, recognizing this, knows that Peter needs to be restored and redeemed. If you're here this morning and you've ever wrestled with unmet expectations, if people have disappointed you, thank you, baby, if people have let you down, If people have walked away from you, the power of the story of the resurrection is simply this. Even the people who deny you and betray you are part of your story. And Jesus loves them too. And Jesus loves them too. And they're part of your story not to make you bitter, but to make you better. And that goes along with what we seek after. Absolutely. Think about if you've got suffered a disappointment or a letdown from someone and your response is love, we are going to see Jesus rise up from that. Come on. I have been on both sides of the coin when my response hasn't been that of God. And I'm looking for God to show up, but I'm not looking in the right places. Come on. I'm not really looking for God. I'm really looking for the people to be walking down the street and they just get struck by lightning. <laughs> you know, I got a little bit of Peter in me. Have mercy, Jesus. It's Come on. been delivered. Real talk. But when we're looking for that thing to happen and then we say, God, where are you? My cry was, this thing doesn't work. Ooh. There was one point in my life in a certain situation, and I felt like being a Christian was like playing the lottery, and I had not gotten the right numbers. Come on. Come on. But I wasn't looking for Jesus. I was looking for payback. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I was looking in pride to be exalted and be put up on a pedestal and be made to be something that I'm really not. And so what you seek is what you're going to see. Yeah. Peter was looking for somebody to be like him, for Jesus to just, you know, just obliviate them in his disappointment. I can imagine he's like, man, this dude is weak. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, that yeah. love that we need and that redemption is so wonderful for us, but when it's expressed to someone else, right. man, I don't want to even do it. I ain't fooling around with Jesus, right. putting people ears back on, raising. <laughs> he was good. He raised Lazarus from the dead. All right, go, Jesus. But I'm trying to be down. Yeah. And he healing folks. Yeah. No, I ain't even really with that. I want a revolution. Right. And I want it to be televised. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And so when we seek, when we really, that's why we have to know the word, when we see God's response to us first and value that, Mm. then we can value his love and his redemption 
and other people. So good. But Peter was wrestling with this. I have a newfound respect for Peter. Because yeah. I just thought, this dude was a hothead. Kind of like some folk I know, but you know, they didn't walk with Jesus. So, you know, yeah. how could Peter be like that? But I think we have a little bit of Peter in all of us. Of we recognize, what are we looking for? Mm. Peter was looking for something that was contrary to the nature of God. Right. God is love. First John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For so good. The lo love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Good. He that does not love does not know God. For God is love. Mm. A great thing we can learn from Peter is the process of getting there. Yeah. We don't expect you to walk under the exit sign and get some little magic fairy dust on the way out of the theater and you've got it all together. Mm. It is a process. Number Good. one, I accept your reckless love. That is the first step. That's ground zero. Mm. Because when we accept that love and when we understand the process of, of how much we are loved, then that, that was Mary Magdalene's story. Ill repute, demon possessed. She had experienced the love of God in a way that some of us will never understand. Mm. And so for her to have reckless abandon, to go and be a witness mm. when she could have been stoned to death in that culture is because they say in my old church, you don't know like I know what he's done for me. Come on. You Come don't on. know like I know what he's done for me. Mm. And I think that was her testimony. Nobody will know what he's done for me. And if I have to die, I am going to tell it. So good. So good. We're about to close. We're about to close. Uh, there's a third character. I'm just going to introduce this third character. But I think there are some of us who identify not just with the women who came to the tomb, where God gives value to those who have no voice, who don't only identify with Peter, in our own disappointment, in our rejection, and the unmet expectations that we've had of others. I think there are some of us who identify with this third character from the resurrection story, and his name is Thomas. Because I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have wrestled with doubt. There are those of us who don't believe it unless we can feel it, unless we can touch it. Uh-oh, uh -oh, here's a good one. Unless we can control it. The lesson of the resurrection, as it relates to Thomas, is that there are certain things in life that you ought to believe even though you cannot control or predict. Uh, here, here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. The scripture says that Thomas wasn't with the disciples the first time that Jesus appeared to them. Notice, if you read the Gospels and you read uh, uh, the book of Acts, you will find that Jesus appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days. Over a period of 40 days, there were many of these sightings of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, it says that he appeared to as many as 500 people at one time. So the resurrection of Jesus is a noted fact. It is a noted fact. Uh, in fact, I don't have time to, to go into the veracity of the resurrection and, and the, 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 the standards that are used to corroborate a story in 
any kind of investigative reporting. The resurrection passes every single one with flying colors, even better than some of our United States history, even better than some of our ancient writings, the records that bear witness to the resurrection. Undeniable. So here's Thomas, and he shows up, and the disciples have seen Jesus, but Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas says, unless I can touch him, unless I can put my hands in the place where he was wounded in his side and in his hand and in his feet, I ain't going to believe it. And there are some of us in this room this morning who say, seeing is believing. Yet the journey of faith teaches us that believing is seeing. Here's the second story that we learned, though. The scripture says that Thomas stayed with the disciples for eight days. You know the third lesson of the resurrection that we learned? Is that we ought to make room for people in our lives. Make room for people in our lives before they behave or before they believe. That the people in your life can belong Mm -hmm. before they believe or behave. That's a tough one. You see, Jesus didn't just show up and knock Thomas over the side of his head. He stayed with the disciples for eight days. And even in his doubt and his unbelief, the disciples came around him and still loved him. Mm -hmm. Until he had his own personal encounter with Jesus. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit to other people. Don't feel the pressure to seal the deal. Just give them a place in your life and in your heart where they can belong. Even before they behave and follow all your cute little Christian rules. And let God do the work of transformation. Notice the scripture says that Jesus just showed up. One minute he wasn't there and then the next minute he was there. You know what that tells me? No matter how many walls you build, Jesus has a way of getting around them, getting over them, to get to you. Because his reckless love knows no bounds. This morning, the power of the resurrection teaches us so many different lessons, so many different lessons. And I'm going to ask the team to come because we're going to receive communion as we prepare to close out this morning's worship experience. It teaches us so many lessons that he gives value to the voiceless, that he restores and redeems the rejected, and he makes room for those who don't believe. He makes room for them to belong long before they believe and long before they behave. This morning, you might be here and you say, you know what, Pastor Ray, that, that resonates with me because I'm in that place where I'm grappling with, do I really matter? Maybe you're in that place this morning where you say, look, man, I'm grappling with disappointed disappointment with God. He didn't show up the way I thought he would. Or maybe you're grappling with doubt and unbelief. There's room at the cross. There's room at the cross for you this morning. Amen. All right, thank you. And so the ushers are making their way to, to you. 
And we're going to take communion together. We're going to make this a time of reflection. And we want you to consider the power of the resurrection. Because all of these men and these women that we just mentioned moved on from the tomb. They moved on from where they were, their disappointment, the unmet expectations. They moved on from the doubt and began to do exploits for God. And this morning, that is the power that we find in the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just something that happened two years ago, but right now, today, Jesus wants to empower each of us to live victoriously in every area of our lives. Thank you, Father. And we're going to receive communion here shortly as I bless the elements, and then the team is going to lead us in a song.